Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, January 15, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black Matt Norlander. is here with me. And I suppose we'll start with the biggest development from Tuesday night, and that was what took place inside Little John Coliseum. Duke lost to Clemson. Final score, 79-72. Brad Brennell's Tigers with the victory. So Duke now has two losses, and not just two losses, but two losses to sub-75 Ken Palm teams. One was at home to Stephen F. Austin, the father of Texas, the daddy of Duke. The other was on the road to a Clemson team that had previously lost at home to Virginia Tech, South Carolina, Yale, and Miami. You wrote about it, dead leg Norlander. What did you make of Duke going down inside Little John? <laughs> Uh, I did. I did not write about it. I talked about it on CBS Sports HQ. What did why I didn't make? You write about it. You should. Why, what were you doing all night Tuesday night? Then I was doing the court report and going on CBS Sports HQ and talking about Clemson knocking off Duke. Lazy. Yeah, I know. You know, we had we got to talk. We got to talk on video for a living. It is. Uh, is what it is. But yeah, it was actually a randomly busy night in sports. There. Um, watched all of the second half of this game. What did I make of it? Duke's not a good foul shooting team, and that came back to bite them. Um, Clemson had a nice shooting night. Not a really not a strong offensive team overall for most of the season, um, but that was not the case at home. And here we are with Clemson winning back-to-back games against Carolina and Duke. Um, obviously, the win at Carolina, first time ever in program history, but it has won two games in a row, and those games being UNC and Duke before, just only twice before in program history, the most recent happening back uh, in 1990. So congrats to Clemson on getting a win. Um, as a quick aside, I don't, I really don't know, how, you know how vulnerable Brad Brownell's job security is or isn't but getting this kind of these kind of wins you know can really go a long way and the ACC being soft maybe Clemson's going to have a chance to just get enough wins to keep him on obviously he carries a very good reputation for being one of the better guys in the profession there for Duke this now opens up an interesting can of worms Uh, obviously I have been singing the tune beating the drum strumming the guitar about uh, Duke being the best team in college basketball and in fact still rates as number one at Ken Palm right now, uh, even in spite of this loss, which was a road loss. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, you know, Duke has won at Ken Palm. How about this? At Torvik, I checked it before we did the podcast, Kansas is still number one with three losses. And uh, Bart Torvik's rankings are predictive, uh, based just like Pomeroy's. Dayton is two, and then Duke is three. Uh, so we've got this weird disparity between what voters are, are giving us and what computer metrics are giving us. I find it to be fascinating. Duke is also still number one at Sagarin as of Wednesday morning. Um, so two things can be true at the same time. Duke can still be empirically, statistically, the strongest team in college basketball and yet have these two uh, weird losses. Duke will not be number one in the power rankings when they refresh on Thursday. Where did you have the Blue Devils when you refreshed your top 25-1 and one in light of what is now, as you said, a second Sub-75 Kempom loss, that obviously puts them with two worse losses, really than more than anyone else that's even remotely in the conversation right now for in, in terms of those top 10 type of teams. Yeah, I, I dropped them to number nine. And I don't really think that there are eight teams better than Duke. Like, if you told me right now, hey, NCAA tournament starting tomorrow, these 68 teams are in it, I'm going to allow you to pick eight to, to win the national championship, knock it out. I, I Duke would be in my eight. But it's not in my top eight at the top 25 and one right now. And it's for the same reasons that Duke is going to be different in human polls than it is in the computers. You know, whether it's Kim Palm, Torvik, any of the, uh, you know, uh, predictive rankings, they, they, they don't care. Their primary thing is not who wins or loses. That's right. Where it's not it's not results oriented. And I think that human rankings should be results oriented and I know that there is a a debate to have and I understand the other side of it but I fundamentally believe that you win the games you win and you lose the games you lose and you should be ranked accordingly I don't really care too much about who is better from a point per possession perspective when we're talking about bodies of work like you win the game or you lose the game if we can divide literally national championships based on who wins and loses, no matter how it happens, then we can decide, I think, rankings 
based on who wins or loses, no matter how it happens. So uh, the truth is, when you look at Duke right now, you just wake up this morning, or in my case, you know, at 3 a.m. before you go to bed, and, and you take a fresh look at the resume, they've got some big wins that help offset the bad losses, but they've got unusually bad losses for a perceived elite team. And when I started docking them down, I got them to nine, no problem. And I, you, you can reasonably drop them even lower than that, but nine, based on who's 10, who's 11, who's 12, felt about right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer that you, um, if voters so choose to want to do this, you can take um, what the metrics are giving us. And, you know, there are, uh, you know, quantifiable ratings and factors that go in that frankly you know that a human can't interpret so you use that but you gotta you get the results gotta pay some big factors here as well and so yeah duke duke's they're fascinating case right now man um well just on on, on the case on, on what you're saying right now let, let me say this there's an ap voter named jesse newell and he he covers kansas and he works at the kansas city star and he's he's, he's good at his job but he doesn't seem to take the results of games that seriously so when college poll tracker releases the ballots each week and people can go thumbs up thumbs down or most extreme ballot like he's always right there and every single week multiple people send me his ballot and say go get him parish pull a text column and i i have done it before but i haven't done it this season i don't think because like he's got his own philosophy and it's much better when i can write that column and somebody goes "Ooh, you got me well, you know, like yeah. I, I, I messed up. He will not acknowledge that he messed up. He will just acknowledge that his approach is different. But the thing that's got people sending me his ballot this week is that when he turned it in Sunday night, Monday morning, he still has Kansas ranked ahead of Baylor. And based on the results of the games that have happened in this season, there is no intelligent way to have Kansas ranked ahead of Baylor. Baylor's got better wins. Baylor's beaten Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. There's no way, based on results, that, that Kansas should be ranked ahead of Baylor, but there are some computers that say Kansas should be ranked ahead of Baylor, and so uh, that is the, 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 that's the, uh, the process that gets him to having Kansas ahead of Baylor, but I, I, I just fundamentally disagree that the results shouldn't matter if the predictive metrics suggest that one team is better than the other if odds makers say if this game played tomorrow on a neutral this team would beat this team if the results of the season don't mesh with mm -hmm. that i lean toward trust the results of the season forget about the predictive metrics in this specific case i lean way more with you than jesse in this regard jesse does a jesse is one of the best beat writers in the game he does a great great job covering kansas um and I'm not tracking his ballot weekly, but I, I, I see what you're saying. I've, I've seen some of the critiques. Uh, he is simply allowing the computers to do the thinking for him when it comes to this. Okay, That's his method. He's going to say, I'm going to trust what the computers tell me, and I'm going to lead, let them lead me down that trail for the most part, which is – which I – it's going to get Kansas fans riled up. Kansas is still ahead of Baylor and Palm in the Massey Composite and Torvik and Sagarin. It still rates as a better team than Baylor, okay? That's because one individual head-to-head -head result should not necessarily dictate whether one team is stronger than the other. We get that. Now, once we, especially once we get to 30, 32, 34-game sample size, that's particularly um, true. But I don't necessarily have a huge issue with this approach in this regard because, as we talked about frequently before, um, it actually is a good way to push back on potential uh, uh, and maybe unintentional groupthink on behalf of the on behalf of the voting body. But in this particular instance, there is no defending ranking Kansas ahead of Baylor unless you are going to say simply, uh, the computers are doing the thinking for me. They are saying Kansas is better than Baylor. I'm going to abide by that and continue to vote like that. And by the way, the difference is minuscule. I mean, it, look at a number of multiple uh, advanced and predictive metrics. It's literally Kansas and then Baylor. You know, in that in that two to three spot or one to two spot, et cetera, et cetera. So. Uh, it's very small. Real quick, though, GP, because we were talking about we were talking about Duke here. Um, it is going to set up an interesting conversation with the Blue Devils the rest of the way. You know, we'll get to previewing Louisville on the next podcast because that's going to be the biggest game of the weekend and all that stuff. And Louisville is going to be going to to Cameron Indoor for that. But since the ACC isn't so strong. Um, 
Clemson technically right now in the moment as we record this podcast, that registers as a quad one loss for Duke because it was on the road and Clemson's 75th in the net. But that could easily float right there in the quad two realm. And that's where you can get into a, a, you know some minor issues with just the cutoff lines and all that. You know, difference between quad one and quad two is 75 versus 76. Clemson just barely reaches that bar. But it wouldn't surprise me. GP, these are, yes, potential seed bump. <laughs> this is a seed bump kind of de- defeat. Can't deny it. When you've got this one and Stephen F. Austin, if Duke's going to be uh, trying to track toward winning the ACC and it takes even, you know, one more sketchy loss, you know, whether it's uh, losing at home to Notre Dame or if it just, you know, let's say Virginia's just not that good in general and then Duke gets tripped up, you know, near the end of the regular season against Virginia, um, that's where I think we're going to have an interesting conversation nationally, just, you know, outside of this podcast, you know, in print, digital, television, podcast, all that stuff about I could easily see Duke being like a four loss team, a five loss team when we get to selection Sunday rating as the number one, two or three team in college basketball. And a lot of people just selling on Duke in general because we think Vernon Carey has been great. But um, I would say to this point, because it's still relatively young, Trey Jones, although he returned, is not some you know absolute dynamo. I think people have not yet been convinced of Duke's greatness the way that people often are about, you know, big time teams getting to mid January and holding a number one, two or three ranking in the polls, if you follow my logic there. Um, I know there's a Duke fan listening right now who's thinking to himself or herself, hey, listen, uh, these losses, there's still only two of them on the resume, and they're not really as bad as you guys are making them out to be. Stephen F. Austin has shown itself to be a pretty good college basketball team, and losing at Clemson, there's nothing embarrassing about that. Clemson, uh, for God's sakes, just went to Chapel Hill and won. Um, I I hear you, but again, there's some... I think some people follow their teams. I think most people follow their teams and don't follow the rest of the country um, nearly as closely as people who get paid to do it, like you and I do. So here is uh, some context for you about what Duke's loss column looks like right now. Trivia time. (laughs) Trivia time. Trivia time. Trivia time. What other teams, Norlander, in the top 20 of the current AP poll? Okay. Have multiple losses on the resume. Okay. One of which is a Q3 or or worse loss. All right. Is this one of those trick questions where I'm supposed to think it's at least one, but it's in fact zero? No, it's not a zero. It's not okay. zero. I mean, I'm not looking at the rankings. I'm not looking. Okay, at the- yeah. Okay. So let me make sure I, I, I have it right, uh, and and we have it right. Um, Duke now has two losses. Yes. One is the home loss of Stephen F. F. Austin. Right. Uh, father of Texas, daddy of Duke. That is a quad three loss. And the loss at Clemson, when I went to bed, it was a quad two loss. So the trivia time had to change early this morning because it was initially how many teams, uh, ranked teams, ha- have a Q2, have two losses below the Q1 level. Okay, but then the Clip- Clemson jumped to 75th in the net, as you point out accurately. And so now that's a Q1 loss. So the new trivia time is what other teams in the top 20 of the current AP poll have multiple losses one of which is a Q3 or worse loss. We know Duke is one of the teams. How many others exist? Um, man. And there is another one, huh? There's two more. I'll There's go ahead two and tell more. you that. No, no, it's a trivia time. I got to guess them. Okay. All right. Gosh, getting fired up here on a Wednesday morning. Um... Michigan State is the first one that comes to mind, but I don't think that's right. No, Virginia Tech is a Q1 loss. It is. Okay. Top 20, you said. And I'm not looking, yeah. at, I'm not looking at the rankings here, so I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. The uh, reason I cut it at 20 is because Illinois. Um, okay. Was, and I was trying to uh, make the list shorter. So, uh, top does, 20. Um, yeah, and I don't have that. I, is Villanova one? Uh, Villanova is not one. One of these is going to be very obvious to you. When I say it, you'll go, oh, my God, of course. What am I thinking? Really? Yes. Uh, Multiple losses, one of which is Q3 or worse. There's no way it's Maryland. Maryland's losses are all good. So that's a, that's a team that has a lot of losses that springs to mind, but it's not the Terps, right? Not the Terps. It can't be the Terps. They have a lot of losses, but I think all their losses are good. Um I want to get at least one here, man. Uh, the here's why I love trivia time because there are who knows how many people that know it. Because if you're a fan of the program, oh, they're just screaming at their phone right now. 
I, I think I think one of them is totally obvious if you just think of what are the worst losses good teams have oh, taken Kentucky. this year. Okay, obviously right. Kentucky. Yeah, what okay. am I doing? What am I doing? Okay, obviously. <laughs> Ohio State on a neutral. That's a Q1 loss. Utah on a neutral. Um, and then Evansville at home. So the Utah loss is a Q2 loss, and the Evansville at home is actually a Q3 loss. So Kentucky is one of them. Um, other one tougher? Well, I mean, they're tough 20, it's so it can't be that tough. The really. other one's tougher and also deserves an asterisk because when this team lost its Q3 game, yeah. the team that beat it wasn't anywhere close to Q3. It's just gone the wrong direction since that game happened in the really? battle for Atlantis. So that would have been... projected top 10 pick got hurt. Dude. What am I doing right now? <laughs> I don't know. Gonzaga, no. Michigan, no. Oregon, no. Oregon, yes. Oregon, yes? Yeah, they lost to Gonzaga on a neutral right. and Colorado on the road, so those are losses. Right, but what's the loss? North Carolina on a neutral. Oh, yeah, they played UNC. I'm not remembering them playing UNC. There we go. So, I'm, disgu- so I'm absolutely them- disgusted with myself. Go ahead. That was, the, that was the poorest trivia time performance, <laughs> perhaps, in the history of the podcast. <laughs> no, I need the Price is Right fail horn. Awful. Kentucky should have been easy because they've got that, that loss to Evansville. Like that's, you're lucky that's even in the Q at all. It, it should be Q, Q40. Yeah. I mean, a home, a home loss to Evansville is Q40 loss. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but the uh, uh, Oregon's is a little different because when it lost to North Carolina, North Carolina was obviously a different team. But still, um, on the team sheet, that is going to be a Q3 loss. So here's my point. You can say that these Duke losses aren't that bad, but no other top 20 team has – I mean, I shouldn't say – almost no other top 20 team has losses like Duke's losses right now. The win column helps offset it. The computer numbers helps off- offset it. But that Duke loss column is, is problematic right now. I didn't use the term seed line bump uh, last night on Inside College have. Basketball, but I do think I used something similar to that <laughs> to point out that these losses um, could be problematic on Selection Sunday because I would assume that the other potential number one seeds are going to have losses that aren't nearly as questionable as Duke's two losses right now. I, that's going to be the case, but I'll see what might help Duke, and we don't have to go way back deep into the Big Ten, but for example, like Maryland's besides, a team. But what might help Duke besides just being called Duke? Right. Well, no, just like in this regard. Like Maryland gets a nice opportunity on the road on Tuesday night, should have defeated Wisconsin. Instead, it doesn't, and it's it's taking on too many losses. It's going to have – I mean, we could get to a point where Maryland has nine losses and they're, they're like all quad one variety. It's going to be interesting to see with the Michigan State of Maryland uh, how those teams are treated, whereas Duke – you know, it's really looking like Florida State and Louisville are going to be the only two teams that are competing with Duke to win the ACC. Um, if you win the ACC, depending on the uh, the win total, I don't know. I mean, Louisville got like Louisville did really good for itself in getting a win in overtime against Pitt with a controversial call. Like it wasn't a great call. I get that. I think Rostin called it an abomination among all abominations. He, it, called, he called it an abomination forty four times in a row live okay. on television. <laughs> It was, I'll say this, it was not a good call. It was a blown call. It wasn't the worst call I've ever seen. Um, if you're pit, you're frustrated because that's a great opportunity. Louisville just gets the good win in advance of now having to go play a, a pissed-off Duke team. Um, so we'll see. There are there are other teams that are going to be fighting for that one line there uh, from the Big Ten. You know, maybe even like... I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, Duke is still going to have a chance if it doesn't take another bad loss because you're just going to have teams picking each other off in other leagues and like can Kansas and Baylor or Baylor and West Virginia or Kansas and West Virginia can they both emerge from the Big 12 to get the one I don't know I we wait and see on that um it should it should be uh it should be interesting but you know another bad loss if they get a third one then we can do a serious evaluation on what this team is or isn't but road game tough spot Clemson plays well you shoot bad from the foul line you weren't at full strength no Joey Baker, no Wendell Moore. That's obviously a factor as well. And so now Duke just becomes more of a curious case than we thought it would be. And we'll wrap this uh, segment up with, um, you know, some uh, what a few days it's been for Clemson fans. You you win yeah. a basketball game at North Carolina for the first time in history on Saturday. 
then you lose the national championship game in football to LSU on Monday. And then on Tuesday, your basketball team bounces back and beats Duke inside Little John. I saw somebody tweet last night. I'd give him credit if I knew if I like could remember the name, but I, I can't, can barely remember my name at this point. Um, said said uh, Clemson football had to die so Clemson basketball could live. <laughs> Something no Clemson fan wants. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know if Brad Brownell wants that. <laughs> yeah, like like every Clemson fan in the world would trade the two basketball wins for the football. Win. They uh, every Clemson fan in the world would say, "I'll take the, if it means our basketball team goes zero and thirty. Well, I'll take it. Like, yeah, no doubt about it." Uh, so uh, listen, what a, a nice uh, little run for Clemson basketball. Not so much for Clemson football, but uh, either way, it was a fun. I I I still can enjoy, even though I'm anti court storming. I can still enjoy the visual of a, a court storming um, when. Uh, a, a school that is not a traditional basketball power knocks out a, the biggest brand in the sport, like what happened on Tuesday night. So um, that was a fun, uh, a fun thing to see. Let's move on. CB McGrath was fired by UNC Wilmington this week, just 19 games into his third season. It led to an interesting debate on social media. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So C.B. McGrath was fired by UNC Wilmington on Monday, just 19 games into his third season. It led to a social media debate prompted by uh, our pal Jeff Goodman, um, who insisted that CB was done wrong because two and a half years, more or less, isn't long enough to determine if a coach is right or wrong for a job. According to Goodman and some others, coaches deserve at least four seasons. Do you believe that, Matt Norlander? Do coaches believe at least, uh, do, do co- coaches deserve at least four seasons, basically no matter what? I used to believe this. I was actually pretty firm in it. Uh, four seasons is a full recruiting cycle, a full opportunity to turn your program around, and barring you know, um, you know personnel issues or stuff you know away from recruiting and on court performance, uh, you should. I am not there anymore. Um, if you are an athletic director or president of a university and you think you know you are three seasons in and the program is clearly going in the wrong direction, uh, there shouldn't necessarily be like, we have to go to a four season no matter what. I actually think you can get yourself into some long-term problems as a program by doing that. So having a strict and a hard and fast rule about that can get you into some issues. But I did used to believe it, but I've, uh, I've since evolved. And part of that's just in, in talking, frankly, to coaches over the years that have explained. And coaches, by the way, who would love to have four years, but uh, just learning more about the very harsh realities. And I do think that the average person doesn't fully understand, like these are great jobs to have and well above the Wilmington level, but even at the Wilmington level, you're, you're paid well, you, you get to be involved in something you absolutely love. Uh, Getting a head coaching job is something that thousands of men and women, tens of thousands uh, aspire to, Uh, but it is tough. And there's a lot of stuff that goes with it. Um, uh, McGrath's firing is a, a bit unexpected given that it comes two and a half seasons in. Um, he only has had two wins against Division One competition this season, Campbell and FIU. Uh, Wilmington had not won a game uh, since Thanksgiving weekend, um, so things are just sliding. And this is a program that's made six NCAA tournaments since 2000. Kevin Keats was there. He took that program to the next level before getting the NC State job. 
So it's a little rough. I ultimately come down on this. So midseason firing, uh, I don't love it. Uh, it's hard to judge from the outside in if you don't. Like, there could be, you know, details that are important. Like if it's just we suck, I want to just fire the coach. I don't love this move. If you're UNC Wilmington, I don't believe that firing CB McGrath on January 14th gives you some sort of <laughs> like 15-meter lead in the race to get your next coach. Any athletic director worth his salt has a list with a number of names on it. There are, I guarantee you there are dozens of athletic directors of varying levels around college basketball right now that know, barring a, a turnaround, they will be firing their coach. And they already have a list. They could well have already started to reach out to representatives of potential um, you know, successors. And that – so. You know, UNC Wilmington only publicly has an advanced lead on uh, on similar jobs that might come open there. Um, I prefer not, but I don't hate it. Um, the program is clearly going in the wrong direction, and if you need to do it to potentially save the locker room, give the, the give an assistant a chance, um, try not lose eight players to transfer. This can also hasten transferring as well. There is no perfect solution. I don't love it. It's a part of the reality. I hope it doesn't become a trend. I think it'd be a horrible look for college basketball. I'm not saying it's going to get there, but if we looked we looked up and saw with regularity like every season, okay, there's like five, six, seven guys just getting hacked in January and February. I don't think that's proper practice. I don't think it's going to become that. But in this particular instance, you've got a program that has been good um, with NCAA tournament aspirations and has just gone the completely wrong direction since McGrath, by all accounts, a really good guy, uh, got there two and a half years ago. Yeah, a, a great guy. Like I, I've known CB for a while, and, and on a surface level, I, I don't think UNC Wilmington benefits in any way by firing their coach in the you know, middle of January. I agree with you. Uh, I, I also agree with you. You know, we're, we're not privy to whatever it might be going on behind the scenes. I mean, here's the truth. Um, you know, when you cover um, the NBA, there are 30 teams. You can have sources within every organization reasonably. Um, we got 353. Uh, the truth is, yeah. not everything is on our radar. And so uh, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, UNC Wilmington has not been on my radar at all until I think it was a couple of weeks ago. We had a UNC Wilmington game on CBS Sports Network, and I was in studio. So now you, you, you know, now it's your job to actually like uh, at least be able to speak for 30 consecutive seconds on live television about UNC Wilmington. So you study, and I didn't realize how bad it had gotten. Um, um, I, I like CB a lot, but the, it, it is undeniable that that thing had taken a turn. I mean, Kevin Keats, who was his predecessor, went 25 and 8 in 2016, 29 and 6 in 2017, and then CB wins 11 games, then 10 games, and was 5 and 14 in this season, 26 and 58 overall. So in, in two plus years at Wilmington, CB won fewer games than Kevin won in his final season at Wilmington. Um, so, like, there's no way to argue it was going okay. Um, does Wilmington benefit from uh, in any way from firing him in January? I, on a surface level, I can't think of a way. Mm -hmm. But but we don't know what was going on behind the scenes. So I, I'll I won't pass judgment on the athletic director who pulled the trigger, just because I'm I'm assuming the athletic director knows more about the situation uh, than I do. Um, that said, I, I, I'm not interested in this conversation as, as it relates strictly to C.B. McGrath, uh, whatever. I, I'm more interested in, like, what do coaches deserve? And I think I, I am on the same page as you. I used to think coaches deserved a certain amount of time. Like, ah, you can't fire somebody before this period of time because, you know, they got to give them an opportunity to, to bring in their own players and establish culture and blah, blah, blah. I used to believe that, too. And then I got older and smarter. And I realized that's a dumb thing to believe because here's what a coach deserves. The money that is guaranteed in the contract that he signed. That's what a coach deserves. But the opportunity to continue running a college basketball program for any period of time, no coach deserves that at all. Because I know there are examples of coaches who took a while to get going and then really got it going well. I was on sideline at Marquette Seton Hall this past weekend. Exactly. Yes. Pretty good example. Yes. Uh, Kevin Willard to gets the Seton Hall job, misses the NCAA tournament five consecutive years. There are athletic directors who would have pulled the trigger right then and just said, you know what, uh, five years is five years. That's too long. And, and boom, pull the trigger. Or maybe even earlier. And if you would have, you would have been firing one of the, uh, a guy who has now become a consistent winner 
in the sport. He's got Seton Hall operating at a high level. So we, we can all go back and forth for hours with examples to, to, to support or push against whatever it is we believe. But, but the truth is, in some cases with, with coaches, and not just college basketball coaches, college football coaches, um, uh, NFL coaches, you, you know pretty quickly. Uh, you can know pretty quickly, this isn't right. This isn't going to work. I mean, how long should the Cleveland Browns have held on to Freddie Kitchens? I mean, it became pretty clear pretty quickly. That guy's in over his head. Like He, she did, he, he might be a, a good dude to sit down and drink a beer with, eat a meal with, but that is not a head football coach in the NFL. He, 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 all he deserved was the money guaranteed in his contract plus the opportunity to show, not necessarily with wins and losses, but show you're worthy of this and you can be good or not. Um, I think Cleveland was smart to pull the trigger after one season. And in college basketball, you can know about coaches uh, quickly. It doesn't take you four years. It didn't take me um, four years to realize Tubby Smith was a terrible fit at the University of Memphis. I, I thought it from the jump, was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. After one year, it was undeniable that he was not going to succeed at Memphis. I wrote the column after his first season. This is not going to work. And the second season was among the worst in every way you can uh, – um, in every way you can measure a basketball program that, that, that Memphis had had in modern history. And then, boom, they pulled the trigger. And there's not a single person, even the people who used to argue with me about that, there's not a single person now – who thinks Tubby Smith deserved a third year or a fourth year or anything more than what he got? And so I just subscribe to that. You know, did you really think Billy Gillespie needed four years? Like, I'm not saying this to pick on Goodman, but like, I'll just take his tweet at, at face value. He said every coach deserves four years. Go ask him if he thinks Billy Gillespie deserved four years at Kentucky. All right. I bet he'll get, he'll get himself stuck in a corner there. Yeah. I, I bet you he'll tell you. Uh, he, uh, who would tell you that Billy Gillespie deserved four years? Like, is there, would even Billy Gillespie tell you that at this point? So I, I just don't subscribe to that at all. You don't, as a coach, you deserve nothing but the money that's guaranteed you. If you show yourself to be awesome, keep your job. If you show yourself to be something that inspires hope, keep your job. But if you do things that make it quite clear in most people's eyes that uh, you know, we haven't been at this long, but it seems pretty obvious that this is not going to work. Then uh, my belief is you pull the trigger as soon as you reach that point. And again, I'm not making this about Wilmington or CB as much as I'm just wait, making it about college basketball coaching in general. Um, pulling the trigger on somebody uh, two and a half years in, I don't care about the time frame at all. If it makes sense, it makes sense. It does. Uh, your example of Kevin Willard is a is a very good one. Uh, I can even give you a couple more in regard to games that will be played on Wednesday night. I mean, you got you got Kevin Willard with Seton Hall at Butler. You got Penn State at Minnesota. Now, Penn State's expectation level is so much different, but Penn State is, I think, has gone as long as any power conference program not named Northwestern and and maintaining a coach. You know, nine seasons without making an NCAA tournament. Now, the Nittany Lions got work to do here. Picking off Minnesota would do some wonders, but could finally uh, break through, and there was some patience there. Florida State got a got something of an urgent game for Virginia on on Wednesday night. That's a that's a home game for uh, for FSU. But Leonard Hamilton, who's been there going on 17 seasons now he didn't make the tournament until his seventh season at florida state and now i mean he's the best coach in program history and is going to get the the knolls to a four straight ncaa tournament for the second time in his tenure so there can be ways that this backfires on you there's no doubt about it but there's also something to be said for if you if you're an ad you've got the coach in place that you want and you think you're still going the right way you love the staff you love the character of the of your of your coach the the direction the program's going in you might not quite have the wins you want in year 1 or year 2 or year 3 but you have confidence it can pay off so there are plenty of examples of patience paying off it doesn't necessarily mean that um, if you opt to pull the ripcord two and a half three seasons in it's necessarily uh, the wrong case in this in this regard and last thing before we get to the mailbag it's been just a brutal like month for Royal Realm. C.B. McGrath is a former assistant under Roy, and um, you know he was on uh, 
the staff to, on the team that lost to Nova with the Chris Jenkins shot. Then he goes and gets the Wilmington job. And so, you know, I think we've lamented Roy Williams' existence in like five podcasts in a row. But this is just another thing where he's just got to be like, you got to be kidding me with this 2020 already. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly unfortunate. But McGrath has a, carries a really good reputation. And I would uh, assume that he will, if he so wants it, he will be on uh, a staff of, you know, of his choosing uh, come next season. Yeah, um, like I said, uh, CB, uh, the best guy. And and if I were a college basketball coach and I had an opening on my staff, um, I'd be reaching out to him. Um, but, you know, the results are, are what the results are. And I just thought that was a, a, a worthwhile conversation to have based on uh, the social media attention uh, the topic had gotten earlier in this week. Let's get on to the mailbag. I went to Apple Podcasts, and the way we do it is if you leave a five-star uh, review – over at Apple Podcast for the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, and you want to ask a question there, I do go through all of the questions. I pick out three, so I can't use them all, um, but I do read them all and appreciate them all. Uh, but I picked out three at about, I don't know, 2.45 in the morning. So I don't even know if they're coherent, but let, let's, let's, let's see as we go. Let's do it here. Let's do it, yeah. So the first question comes from uh, Ethan. And Ethan is a third-year American student studying in England, so he's abroad. Okay. And he says he loves college basketball, but nobody in England cares about college sports <laughs> at all. <laughs> basketball, football, none of it. Okay. So what Ethan wants to know is that if he wanted to convince his buddies in England to, to watch a college basketball team, like follow a college basketball team, and even come to the United States for a game to see that college basketball team – what team should that be? Good question. Good scenario. You ever been to London? I have never been to Neither London. Neither have I. I, and I, I you know, I, I want to go. I, I really, really want to go at some point soon here. I've never been. Um, there's plenty of places I want to go, but um, yeah, just I'm going to go to London, go to Liverpool, do all do all that stuff, see where the Beatles started out and all that good stuff. Um, best team. So this dude's trying to convince his buddies, his blokes out there. Um, Let's let's fly across the pond, and uh, and go check out a college basketball game. Yeah, he's got, trying to convince his blokes. Yeah, that's what they're called over there, right? I think so. Got your blokes? Can I can I hear your English accent, Parish? I don't think I don't. I'm not doing that. That seems. Like <laughs> Why not? <laughs> there, there what, what, if, what if I just spent the the rest of the podcast talking like I was from Britain? Would you be okay with that? I, 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 sure. Would, would you I, Would you I, like to join me? No, I can't. Not even a little. No, like last night on on uh, Inside College Basketball, we're doing highlights, and Rostin starts singing during one of his highlights, and I was That's like, rubbish. I was like, this might be good television, but I'm not going to sing during my highlights. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. Do and, like and I would, I would uh, put the English uh, accent uh, on the same page as, um, I, I, you can either do a good English accent or you sound like an idiot doing a fake English accent. That's probably uh, what I sound like right now, but. I'm good with it. I think I'm also bouncing around all of uh, all of England. Maybe getting even into the uh, to the Irish right now. <laughs> yeah, I think. And, like, I wasn't I wasn't quite prepared for this, but I am. I, I tell you what, I am going to spend. <laughs> I am going to do the rest of this question in in an English accent. <laughs> I don't know what's going. Well, I'm not. I'm bailing. I'm bailing. I'm bailing. I wasn't prepared English for it. English accents are different. Like, um, like. Oh, they're they're very different. Yeah. Like, like Amy Winehouse sounds different than David Beckham. You know. Yes, and yes, and Paul McCartney sounds different from, you name it. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh it's it's like America. You know, if you're from Tennessee, you sound different than if you're from South Carolina than if you're from Texas. Okay. Um. You're gonna have to take Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse dead, by the way, so she doesn't really sound like oh, anything boy. anymore. But what an amazing talent she was! Indeed, um, loved her, by the way. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I remember when she died because I was. Uh, we were in Vegas. We, 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 also, I remember that too. I was. We were, I, yes, I, I was at Fab Forty Eight at Bishop Gorman High School. I remember exactly when that happened. We were um, in Las Vegas. I like. I. I don't remember where I was when everybody died. Like even some oh, of my. Oh really? Like even my even like people like, <laughs> when everybody up. died. But but I remember where I was when Amy Winehouse died. I, I was do in, too. I was I was at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, and I woke up and I was like, "Oh man, Amy right. Winehouse died." 
You not were at the Cosmo. Because... I was already at the gym. I thought you were at Foothill, but whatever. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was probably somewhere between the Cosmopolitan and Foothill. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a deep reference. Maybe 10% of the pot will get it. Um, you, I, you know, in a, in a given year, I, I guess, do, you got to bring them to the best possible environment. So it's going to have to be, first of all, fly to the East Coast. It's easier. Duke, Carolina, the good, good area. That's that's the game. I mean, there's no other. That's that's take them to a game. Carolina at Duke in Cameron. That is going to be the best possible environment in the thick of college basketball season. That's what you do outside of taking them to like the NCAA tournament, and like some hyped Elite Eight game. Let's just kind of stick to the regular season. I think that's the only answer, though. Yeah, uh, you you take them to Duke. I mean, you, you want to take them to a place um, that is going to Duke. Live, uh, Cameron lives up to the expect like. I, at this point, we and we've talked about this a million times, but I, we between the two of us, we've been to basically all of them. And I don't care how many sporting events you've been to. Like at this point, I go to the Final Four. I don't even actually go to the Final Four. Like I, I sit on a, a television set right outside a dome. Like I, there is every every Final Four for the past several years. I have I can I can walk right in the door and sit right on the court. And watch the final four, and I'm like, you know, I don't care. Well, they wouldn't watch. let you sit on the court, but yeah, I mean, that'd be that'd be actually kind of weird. You, you just plop down cross legged. <laughs> they're playing. I was just yeah, sitting just on like, the court, yeah. <laughs> just, chin like, on your hands. Oh, this is so much fun. Nah, not quite that, but I get what you're saying. I, I was like on the three point line. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and. <laughs> watching <laughs> someone photoshop gp cross-legged on the opposite three-point line of chris jenkins hitting this shot that's an amazing image right there. so like i just i'm like whatever because like i've seen it and i it, i i realize that's kind of a, a terrible like a, approach to like that we're at the final four it's amazing but i'm like you know what we got a nice um green room here and uh you know th- i think they're about to order food lots of so, chocolate bars so i just i'll just watch i'll just watch on television here but it is still cool when you walk in Cameron Indoor. That's the point I was trying to make. Like that, it 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 lives up to the hype. So I think, yeah, you you take them to the place that's the coolest place to be, and I think the coolest place to be is either Cameron or Allen Fieldhouse. But Cameron's closer to England than Allen Fieldhouse, and then Duke is an easy team to follow. Like you know, there, there's a million things you can read about Duke or watch about Duke or listen to about Duke. So Ethan, if you're listening, tell your blokes. Assuming you call them blokes, that might be an Australian thing, by the way, or is it not? Only a tosser would say something like that. <laughs> Am I a tosser? Yeah. Okay, so so uh, tell your blokes to to come to Cameron Indoor and uh, enjoy the the Cameron Indoor experience. It's Next wicked, question. baby. It's it's wicked. Don't be a wanker. Come on over. Check out the hoops. I hope they. Uh, Ethan, if you're listening, please don't let your blokes listen to this podcast because they'll hear a, an American trying to goof around <laughs> with an English accent, and it'll. I feel like they already think we're dumb Americans anyway, right? Well, we're, we're a bit wonky. That's right. I mean, there, there's a lot of evidence. I mean, long for being honest, there's a lot of evidence to suggest we are kind of a dumb country. So this, hey, this, you this, got you got. Uh... You got Harry and uh, and and, and Megan. They're bailing on it though. They're they're coming to North America. So yeah, but not even to the United States. I know. I know. They're like they're like Harry and Megan are like. Listen, we we got to get out of here, and we should go to North America, but not the United States. <laughs> like let's just keep, let's move to Toronto. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so and there's probably something sensible about that. Like if they get sick, they'll be able to get, you know, go to the doctor. So that's good news, that's a, that's, right? That's a benefit, yes. All right, what's the next question? Second question comes from somebody who didn't leave a name, but it is a Virginia fan. Okay. And his or her question is this. What would Virginia look like right now if Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter, and Cal Guy had all returned for this season because they all did have eligibility remaining. Oh, um, and they would look. I'll answer. They would look awesome. They'd, they'd look awesome. I'm just trying to figure out. They would. They'd probably be the best team in college basketball. I mean, if they, well, they all returned play. and played at the level that they played a season ago and remain healthy, uh, I don't see why that would not that would not be the case, right? Well, well, if they were the best team in college basketball last season, not only in terms of who won the championship, but you know, in terms of the advanced metrics, like they were number one at Ken Palm as well. If you return everybody from that team, trivia time! Oh, I got a trivia time for you too, but you go ahead. Okay, my trivia time is this. There was only one player on that team who exhausted his eligibility, could not have returned. Can you name him off the top of your head? 
Uh, no. Jack Salt. Jack Salt. Damn it. <laughs> Jack, Jack Salt. Salt from Australia. Hi, mate. See, there's a difference. <laughs> this is the Australian accent, okay? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... St- uh, Go ahead, Bick. Australia is mate. And mate. England is, yeah. And England is bloke. That's correct. And we just use... We just use bruh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My trivia time for you is this, mate. Okay. Um, Virginia ranks second in, or not second. Yeah, it ranks second in defensive or third. In, it's actually third in defensive efficiency as of now, and 229th in offensive efficiency. That is a 226 spot difference. Mm-hmm. Only one team has a greater disparity. And being a strong uh, defense-leaning team and a horrible offense in all of college basketball. Name that team. UNC Wilmington? No. No. <laughs> no. But kind of in that region. Not in their conference, though. Uh, is it? It's a British-sounding name of a school, I think. With the, a, with the nickname. A British-sounding name with a school. Is it? I, what is a British sounding name? I'm done. It's not like ex- expressly British, but it's you know it sounds like it might be. It's got some royalty baked into the name. Oh, you're you must be thinking of East Tennessee State. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like royalty? <laughs> the answer are the Old Dominion Monarchs. Oh yeah. 65th on offense, all the way down at 315 on defense. Anyway, impromptu trivia um, times. Gotta love uh, it. Um, back, back to Virginia. So, um, yeah. listen, they were number one at Ken Palm last season. They won the national title. If they returned all of the important pieces except for uh, <laughs> Jack Salt, uh, yeah, they'd probably be the best team in the country. Unless we do this with every team and we go, what if everybody brought back everybody that could have come back? Well, then Duke's got Zion. Yes. Of course, Zion's hurt, so it wouldn't matter. That's right. <laughs> but they'd have We're doing our 74th straight podcast leading on Zion Williamson. Yes. Yeah, we'd be talking that we'd have a, a, a million Zion podcasts oh. in a row, oh and R.J. Barrett would be taking a million shots That's in a right. row. <laughs> so it would be Virginia Duke. If we, did, if we applied that same thing to everybody, Virginia Duke would be the two best teams in the country. As it is, Virginia can't score, and Duke uh, has lost to Stephen F. Austin in, in Clemson. Yeah. All right, next question. Third question and final question comes from, I believe, a Xavier fan. And this person asked the following question. Why does Mark Emmert still have a job? What would it take for Jay Billis to get that position? Jay Billis doesn't want that position. Uh, he wants nothing to do with it. Um, I believe the NCAA actually did has tried to legitimately court Jay Billis to work for the NCAA and not to, like, you know, convert his mind or anything, but just kind of say like, all right, Jay, you've got all these critiques and criticisms. We want, we hear what you're saying. We want you to help us implement and change. And Jay has no interest in that whatsoever, obviously. Um, Why does Mark Emmer still have a job? Because the school presidents are still satisfied with him taking all of the arrows and maintaining status quo as best as he possibly can. And even I say that even as we, uh, you know, we continue to make headway toward, you know, name, image, and likeness uh, and, you know, whatever congressional, you know, nationwide stuff is going to change with that. But that's basically why. I mean, as soon as the presidents don't have enough confidence in Mark Emmett or think that he is not worth all the negative publicity he gets, they're going to vote him out. But ultimately, the school presidents know that, like, none of them ever get criticized, ever. You know, they are the ones that help make up the board of governors and really drive the direction of the greater NCAA model. Okay. And so long, so long as there's one dude that's going to get up there and take all of the criticism and act as a mouthpiece on behalf of the presidents, he's just, he's going to remain in that job. A lot of, I've spoken with plenty of coaches over the past couple of years who believe that Mark Emmert is not fit for the job, should be fired and they should have someone else come in there. But that's, that's just not going to happen until uh, his Q rating, if you will, takes a, a massive dive or he opts to leave. I just don't see, we've gotten to this point. I'm not seeing a situation barring true controversy that would that would lead him to actually being booted from from the spot that, that's exactly right like i i hate what mark emmert does because i hate the institution that he is hired um employed to defend 
But the truth is, if you understand what Mark Emmert's job is, which is to maintain status quo, you know, hold on to power, hold on to money, he's doing a fairly good job at his job. Like he's doing what the university presidents want him to do. He's out there keeping things the way they are for the most part and taking all the bullets. That, that's, that's, that's why he makes millions of dollars to do exactly what he's doing. And it's why I've often said, you know, if you if you watch a Mark Emmert interview or you read a Q&A, every time it happens, whether it's Jay Billis or myself or anybody else, uh, we you know, Dan Walken, uh, we'll, we'll all tweet a link to it and we'll pull out the parts that are dumb and we'll go, my God, this is the dumbest thing. This is the worst thing. But it's not because Mark Emmert's dumb. Mark Emmert's a brilliant man. It's just that when your job is to defend what his what what he is employed to defend, you you sound dumb doing it. It's like when Bill Hancock used to have to defend the BCS. He sounded ridiculous. Bill Hancock's not a ridiculous man. You ever sit down with him, have a cup of coffee? He's a smart, thoughtful, reasonable human. But when it, when 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 the orders from above are, Bill, it is your job to defend the BCS and explain every week on television why going to a fourteen playoff would be a disaster for college football. When that's your job, now go do it. You, you sound ridiculous doing it. So the job is to sound ridiculous to the public while keeping the presidents happy. That's what Mark Emmert's job is, and if we're being honest, he does that job well. What I wish is that we had another NCAA president who was willing to try to do another job differently. But Mark Emmert's just taking orders from above, above being the university presidents, and the university presidents are – uh, largely, evidence being he still has his job, are largely um, are just fine with, with the way Mark Emmert's doing the job. Well, I've got to say, uh, fit bloke, it's a brilliant pod here. I've enjoyed my time, but uh, say we uh, get a little bit of a move on here. You head on over to your flat. We'll do another, <laughs> we'll do another podcast in a couple of days. I can't wait, bloke. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars and nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Friday morning to help you get ready for the weekend. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.